Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. So we're in our Things That Are Revelation series, looking at chapters one through three. In this particular series today, we're in chapter two, verses 12 through 17, mostly. If you want to turn there with us, uh, the church is called Pergamum. Um, it's not a city we, we have anymore that we necessarily hear about, but it was a big time city back in the day. Uh, it was a very spiritual, in a negative way, uh, city. Uh, had a very vibrant church at the same time, so there's a positive uh, aspect there amidst all the uh, uh, the just the horror and sadness that were going on with the, with the temples that were there. There was great wealth, um, a temple to the snake god, a temple uh, uh, to other gods. Uh, Caesar had his own temple. He was the living god in his eyes, and he had his own temple there. There was a university there, a giant library. It's where we get parchment paper from. Uh, so they were very much uh, intellectuals in that city. And then sadly, Mostly to Jesus, uh, as, he, as he points it out here, uh, it, Satan had a stronghold there. There was uh, debauchery and moral decay and a lot of evil going on there. So Jesus addresses, the, addresses things right away. Verses um, 12 through 16, we're going to look at first here. Jesus is talking and he says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one who has the, with the sharp two-edged sword. So Jesus is saying, I got the sharp two-edged sword able to pierce into the heart and, and, and connect with you very deeply. Uh, and then uh, as a sword does, if you're not on my side, you know, he, he says later, uh, that sword can be used for other things. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. This is Jesus talking. So, uh, you know, Vegas called Sin City is bad enough. I can't imagine being called Satan City, uh, but it was a tough place. He says, Satan has his throne there, yet you've remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, some, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus tells them right away, I, I understand the pressures of the city where you live. I understand the temptations that, that you face because of, because of where your church is. So he, command, he commends them here for, for remaining true to him in the midst of all of this, to, to, to still worshiping him in, in, in the midst of persecution and pressure. They refused to renounce their faith when, when one of their leaders, Antipas, was uh, roasted alive in a bronze uh, altar. They, they put him in there and they said, denounce Jesus, worship Caesar, or we're lighting the fire. And they lit the fire because he refused to, to renounce Jesus and he refused to, to worship Caesar. I mean, that's tough times. I, you know, none of us here at all, we might have gone to some nations, 
that had, hello? Uh, no, just kidding. Um, the phone rang if you didn't hear that. Uh, no worries, we've all been there. Uh, but we've all been in places where there's this pagan pressure. Uh, it might be in where you work. It might be in certain cities. So you might have had time in, in Vegas or New Orleans or, or Miami or some of these cities where maybe monetary pressure is the god of the city. Uh, or you might have gone to third world nations where there is uh, worship to Hindu gods or Muslim gods or, uh, or, or some kind of a Buddhist uh, uh, worship going on there. But with all that pagan pressure around them, they weren't given in to that. What they faced was this, this new threat from within their own lives, from within their own church body, Jesus says. So Jesus is calling them to, to change their ways, to address it, and to hold fast, which is our big idea today. Hold fast in the midst of Whatever it is you're going to walk through, whatever it is that's coming upon you, whatever's going on, hold fast. And it doesn't mean hold on tight and, and, and don't live your life. It means hold fast to truth and live with confidence. It's not about holding fast in a closet hiding until, until Jesus comes. It's about holding fast to truth and taking light into dark places. So this letter is an encouragement, it's a correction, it's an instruction for those who are, who are struggling with compromise, for those who are enticed by compromise, and even for those who are already fully deceived by it. It's directly from Jesus to this church 2,000 years ago, and it's directly to, from Jesus to our church, to you, and to me today. We don't face the same pressures, but we face the same enemy of our soul. And here's the thing, Jesus knows that compromise kills. Compromise always kills, whether it be in business or in a relationship, uh, your integrity. Uh, anything you do where you compromise, it kills that, that entity you're in. The church existing there at all showed great faith and great belief that they would be a place that would be a light in the midst of all that darkness. It took courage to follow Jesus in the midst of such an idolatrous culture where Caesar himself set up his own worship throne. That'd be tough, yet with all that worship of other things and, and all those other lifestyles and all those things that they, that they, that they turned to and, and honored, the church wasn't doing that, but things started to creep in because they began to compromise in other ways. And here's the thing, this blending of beliefs that they were struggling with, this foolishness of, of adding in to the truth of Scripture and the truth of Jesus, it goes all the way back to the beginning. We see it in the garden, right? It's perfect. They need nothing. It is a perfect world. And they chose to add into what God had given them by saying, hey, I, I, need, some, I need some knowledge of good and evil. I, I know he said, don't do it, but... I mean, how can it hurt? We see Israel did it all throughout Old Testament. They blended their beliefs and they, and they faced consequences because of it. And there was, uh, there was, there was a, you know, brokenness and sin and it cost them. Verse 16 says that the church here in Pergamum was doing it. And then we have our own compromise struggles today that we face in our own lives and in our churches, uh, in our Christian communities. 
David Jeremiah, one of my favorite pastors to listen to and, and study from, he says this about compromise. He says, whatever the devil cannot crush, he will seek to corrupt through compromise. Reminds me of uh, an old thing that, uh, old teaching my, my old pastor used to do in Alaska. Uh, we're Texans, so we love our tea. Most of you love sweet tea. I have a big picture of sweet tea right here. I'm an unsweet tea guy. Uh, but tea is tea, and this summer, more than ever, I mean, pouring that old sweet tea over a glass of ice, that'd be awesome, right? It'd be wonderful. Most of us don't like sewage uh, in, like, at least in our homes and in our, you know, in our, uh, in our pitchers. So you got, a, you got a thing of sewage here. It's not real sewage, by the way. It would probably taste almost as gross because I blended it with uh, Diet Coke and uh, pizza sauce and salsa and cheese that outdated in 2021 and uh, some ketchup that uh, I don't even know if the ketchup it has, it's just solid now. Uh, but it's in here. And I think if you drank it, it'd be coming up like sewage might. But if I took this beautiful sweet tea, which we all love, and I took, and it's pure sweet tea, right? And I put it in this sewage, what's that make? Sewage, right? Right? Hey, not a sweet tea in the world to change this gross thing. But I've got all this. That was just one, one little spoonful didn't, didn't help it at all. But if I took this and I mixed it up, there's chunks down there. Some of that cheese is green. I see a tomato. And if I put that right there in the sweet tea, how many of y'all would want to drink some of that? See, one spoonful of sewage in your life creates sewage. And and one spoonful of of goodness and righteousness uh, in the midst of sewage doesn't change the sewage either. We have to live pure. None of us would want to drink that. But what's happening is they're blending sewage in even just a little bit, some of them, oh, I just do this or I just do that. I don't, I don't go worship with those temples. I don't honor Caesar as a God. But, you know, what's wrong with this, that, the other, thinking this way, adding this in? Eve and then Adam both said, what's so wrong about biting this piece of fruit? We're all paying a price today because of it, Right? That's the doctrines of Balaam, which you see in Numbers 22 through 25, and, and of the Nicolaitans that Jesus is talking about here. If you recognize Balaam, it's probably mostly from uh, his talking donkey that was smarter than him and saved his life, but, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's actually talking here about how this awful prophet of God's people found a way to tempt his people to seduce them into compromise. Now, the choice to accept the temptation is where compromise kills. Because the temptation presented to you and I is never a sin issue. It's when I take the temptation. A temptation's always gonna come from evil, from Satan himself, from his, you know, hordes of demons. But, but me accepting it means I'll, I'll take that. I'll eat that. I'll add that into my iced tea. I'll, I'll, I'll let that happen in my integrity or in my marriage. So when we accept the temptation, compromise begins to kill. And we all have our old ways, right? We all had some way we lived or acted or thought pre-Jesus. And the enemy knows that, so he's always trying to come at us. 
So if we live without solid Christian fellowship, without real spiritual accountability, if we try to follow Jesus without being in a discipleship community, it's very easy to get caught up in our old ways. Or maybe even just look at culture and go, well, you know, it looks fun. Well, if I accept that and I agree with what they say, at least they won't hate me and, and treat me poorly. The Nicolaitans, at the same time, they taught that you could basically do whatever felt good to your body or, or your mind, and you're good because your spirit's free. Just do whatever you want over here. And so they got stuck in uh, idol worship and sexual immorality, uh, and it was a belief from people who were in churches. Debauchery that they chose brought in a lot of sewage to their lives, and then that sewage, because it was accepted as, hey, we'll just let them stay here. They're worshiping Jesus still. And it wasn't addressed, it wasn't dealt with, and some people kept, they kept adding more people to it. Well, then there was sewage in the church. The enemy will never stop tempting you. He will never quit attempting to deceive you. In fact, probably the stronger you grow in Jesus, the more he will uh, uh, attack you and assault you and launch assaults at you because he doesn't want your influence of light to dispense with his darkness. So you gotta be diligent. You have to read and digest and live by this word. Don't just say, well, I listen once a week to somebody else say something. Be in the word so the word can be in you and then you can live out of the word. Follow what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Pray. Be in community because you always have the ability to overcome. 1 John 4, 4 tells us that, that Jesus in you is always greater than anything in this world and greater than Satan every time. So hold fast. Hold fast. But don't try to hold fast on your own. Hold fast with others encouraging you and challenging you and speaking into your life and you speaking into their lives. Being fixated on what's, what's relevant in our world and uh, being tolerant of everything that the world believes, that's sewage. Changing the written word to, uh, to fit what you feel or what you like or, oh man, that just seems kind of outdated in, you know, 2022. So let's, let's change it up. That's sewage. At the same time, living combative or antagonistic against a lost world that does not know Jesus is also sewage because that's hatred. The world is lost. So we cannot hate it. We don't buy into the things it believes, but it needs Jesus just like we once did. The world doesn't know what it doesn't know. So we give them Jesus and we take them Jesus and we show them Jesus. And that can be hard sometimes. It's like, oh, I'd rather tell them about Jesus than have to show them because they're driving me crazy. Let's never overreact to a lost world so much or a lost culture so much that we become some type of holier than them people. 
Because if it wasn't for the absolute love and grace of God in my life, I would be a lost, wicked, selfish person. It is only the grace. There was nothing in me that could save myself in the slightest. The absolute undeserved favor of God on my life, his grace. And then the undeserved mercy that said, Scott, I'm gonna take away your punishment. I, I, when I said it was done at the cross, it's done at the cross. And it took me going, oh, okay. Would you accept this mess? And he's like, that's all that I ever accept. <laughs> and then I turn a mess into a message for me. Jesus wants you and I to live free. He wants us to live free and enjoy life and have the world around us that's lost see freedom for real. Freedom defined by heaven, by God himself, and not some false freedom that, that changes every 10 years with pop culture. And wherever corruption or compromise seeks a foothold in our lives, we have to be vigilant and mindful. Not mad, but hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna give in here. I, I'm not letting this sewage into my iced tea. So we gotta look at our own lives and see how what we're doing, how we're living compares to this. You say I should do this. Oh, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I, I need to repent and do this. You say to do this. Hey, that's what I'm doing. And God says, well done. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Oh, you say, dude, I always thought it was this, and that guy showed me it was actually this, so I need to get back on track. That's what we do. This will show you exactly how to live. There's not one question in life that you have that this can't answer. Now, you might not be able to figure it out on your own. That's called community and fellowship. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have other spirit-filled believers to help us live this life. So we gotta ask the question, does the world's view have my attention more than Jesus in some area. I would imagine that nobody in here, you're fully following the world and buying all in. I mean, if you are, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. But at the same time, some of us might have spoonfuls of the world mixing in that has our attention. We might say things or you hear things like, I can see how living together or, or sleeping with someone can be okay to test a relationship. I mean, everyone does it. What's the harm? I can see where abortion is something to consider. It's her body, so who am I to say X, Y, or Z? I believe in Jesus. What's so bad about living out Christianity my way? Feels good. It's all sewage in the tea. For those of you going back to public school, whether it's university or high school, middle school, uh, elementary school, you're going this year, a question you will face over and over. If I don't fit in, I'll be all alone. So what do I do? That's a challenge. You know what you do? You ask Jesus and he will lead you to those that you fit in with in Jesus 
And it may be less than these over here who don't know Jesus and don't come from Jesus' homes and they're just living life however they've been taught and they need the three of you over here who know Jesus and it's hard to be just three of you instead of 33, but you can take the message to Jesus. It's what I love about Young Life here in Burnett. The, the small group of kids get together at the beginning of the year and they begin to pray for those who who maybe are fitting into the world and they want to invite them and invite them and invite them and they get them to come and start to hear more about the joy of Jesus. So what about you? What about you? We have to take everything we read in Scripture, we, we learn in Scripture, or that, 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 that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we got to ask the question, what about me? What are you saying to me, Jesus? If I read this just for knowledge's sake, that's my reward my puffed up knowledge or my added knowledge. But if I read this to learn knowledge and apply it, that's where I become a spirit-filled follower of Jesus applying the word to my life. So what about you? Where have you maybe let the world's view in? Where are you toying with something less than? Where have you opened the door and, and sewage is seeping in? In verse 16 here, Jesus calls us to first repent of our wrongdoing, to, to uh, repent of our wrong thinking, and then he tells us, I, I have rewards for you if, you if you repent and then you begin to walk out that repentance, so you walk differently now, you turn and go towards Jesus, I have rewards and blessings for you. So to stay free, we commit to what Jesus says. To, to get out of the trap that maybe we found ourselves in or put ourselves in or we don't know how we got there, but we're in a trap. We humbly repent. We accept his forgiveness because at repentance, he instantly forgives. And then we change our thinking and our actions. God's desire is to give us his grace to refuse to compromise and live free and live full and abundant lives. Paul says so in Galatians chapter six, verses seven through 10, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God, God God's righteousness. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And that good to everyone comes from Scripture alone, living this out. So you refuse to compromise your integrity and your purity. Don't do something just to get ahead or feel a part of the in crowd and, and serve yourself and, and be accepted by a cult, modern culture, the world's culture. Because when we have a revelation of everything truly being always and only about Jesus, we will only be drawn to Jesus. If I see Jesus for who he truly is, I could care less about sewage it's when I don't see that or care anymore or I lose my way. I get isolated. And when we have a revelation of 
how and how much we are loved by God, we will refuse to compromise our purity because he loves me. He made me pure. He made me whole. So Jesus wraps it up in verse 17 of Revelation 2 with this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So he's saying, you, you listen with the ears I've given you, the spiritual ears, and you take it in. And when you understand it, understanding means I apply it. So I'm not just reading it and done. I am listening to the life of Scripture spoken here. And I'm taking it in and I'm letting it change me or motivate me or lead me and guide me. It is what I hear because I'm listening and then I'm walking out with understanding. He says, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give each one a white stone and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So we, we heed the warning that Jesus gives here. We take in the correction. And then we live right and we live a lifestyle of repentance. And just like a good, good father always does, he brings rewards and blessings in our life. Hidden manna, he says. After, after God led them into, into freedom from their 430 years of captivity, and they were in the wilderness, every day he provided them manna from heaven to eat. They didn't have to work for it at all. They had no idea how they got it other than God gave it to him like a surprise gift that you don't see coming but keeps coming. That white stone, no one quite knows what that means. It could mean a couple of different things. Uh, stones were, white stones were often used as a ticket for admission. Uh, uh, maybe it was also used uh, after a vote was taken and people would cast their votes and then the one who got the white stone was the victor and the one who got the black stone, you know, you lost. Um, so this might have been a visual of our residency in heaven, that admission into heaven or, or reiterating that Jesus wins the day and so do those who follow him. And then a new name. You are branded by God, set and secure by him and in him forever. I was praying last night uh, and, and I felt like the, the Lord said he had a word for someone today and, and it, it's slightly general. So it may be a word for a, a number of people here today. So I just want you to just close your eyes and listen. And after this word, we're gonna go into a time of worship. But I really felt like the Lord said this for some people in this room. Jesus is saying, I see you, I love you, I am for you. You believe in me, but you're struggling with priorities and focus and your heart's divided so you feel torn. Don't choose momentary comfort. Don't choose a fraud over what I have for you. If you will just turn back fully to me, change that direction and trust fully in me. There's victory for you. There's victory for everything you face and everything you need from me, I will provide. 
I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. And I know it might seem like too tough of a situation for some of you, maybe it's a job, a relationship, pressure to conform, finances. But Jesus is saying, if you hear what my Holy Spirit is saying to you, I will give you everything that you need, even though you don't see it. Victory always, secure in me, absolutely. Would you stand with me? If that word was for you, here's my recommendation, run to the altar. You just, during this, during these songs, you, you just come up and whatever Jesus needs to do in your life, you come up. Don't discount the moment that God is staging for you. And Jesus, we worship you now and I thank you for your truth, for your challenges, for your hope-filled words to us. And I pray that any of us that need to step into repentance would step into repentance and no longer deal with any kind of sewage in our lives. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.